This message first aired on the radio on September 29, 2003. Now we have been covering an overview of the scriptures. That's not an easy task. I don't say we do it well, but we are attempting it. And in so doing, we believe that if we can impart an outline of the scripture to you, you'll have a convenient place to hang your thoughts. And as you read the Bible, which few people do, you'll enjoy it more by having a logical and reasonable and well-organized place to put your thought as you uh, gain them. The Word of God is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. It's our desire. On this broadcast, those of you that have visited the website, www.biblestudy.net, know that one of our leading purposes is to reach the Jew first and also the Gentile. That's the way the Bible's written. God gave his word to Israel. He didn't give it to anybody else. The whole Bible written by God's earthly people, the Jews, and given to us when they rejected the Savior and God's word. And I'm a benefactor of another man's loss. And let me assure you, I realize that. And so we've been taking up the different dispensations of God or the way that God has organized his house in many times. And really, when we think about the house of God... Okay, today, if you're a Christian and you think about the house of God, then you think about the church of God, which is the house of God today. But if you're not Christian, or if you think historically rather than, shall we say, biblically, if you just think historically, and you hear about house of God, you may think of the temple. As a matter of fact, that would be your first thought structurally. If you thought instead of terms of people... Uh, the calling out of God's people, the ecclesia, which is his body. If you didn't think about that, and you were thinking structurally, and I said house of God, then you would probably be thinking of the temple. And if you've been following this Bible study for the past 17 weeks, and find that we've gone through the various dispensations coming here to the middle of the fifth one, then you would think about, well, where is the temple in all this? After all, the tabernacle of God in the wilderness was understandable when the children of Israel were traveling through the wilderness and the way that they encamped around it uh, according to the arrangement of the heavens and according to each tribe and the insignia reflected in the heavens as they encamped around the Ark of the Covenant, which was in the tabernacle of God. Then the tabernacle came into the promised land, but it still, though Israel, uh, to destroy their enemies and live permanently in that land, there was no permanence given to the tabernacle. It was still a tent. You remember, it even got misplaced. It got carried away by the Philistines. They stuck it in the house of Dagon. They couldn't withstand it there as their false god continued to fall down. And then the children of Israel brought it back. You remember, they brought it back on an ox cart, the same way that they were trying to bring it into Jerusalem on an ox cart, the same way that the Philistines sent it back to them. And you remember, God judged the ignorance of David, and Uzzah was uh, slain because of his presumption, really not only because of his own presumption, but also because of the presumption of David. But God chose David, and we're here at the end of the life of David in our study. God chose David to build his house. God promised that he would build David a house, but David disqualified himself from building the house of God, but he didn't disqualify himself from assembling the material. So he assembled a certain stockpile of material, and it's going to be to Solomon to build the temple, typically known today as the first temple. 
but to build the temple, which was the house of God in Israel. And that's the phase upon which we're entering in our study as we come to the last piece of the life of David. And when I look at the last piece of the life of David, I'll tell you something David did that we don't think about very much, I think, in our society. I talk to my Christian friends. I even talk to those who don't have faith in Christ about this. But what really matters in life is finishing well. And it is such a rare thing to find people who finish well in life. None of us start well. We all start out as sinners, and we go from bad to worse. And then some of us have, by the grace of God, received Jesus Christ as our Savior a little earlier in life. I could say I received Christ as my Savior early in the second quarter. I'd say there was about, uh, oh, maybe 11 minutes to go before halftime when I received Christ as my Savior. But what really matters is finishing well. And David, although he had problems, let's say, after halftime, in the matter of Uriah the Hittite, he finished well. And that is the great challenge to all, really, is finishing well. So we're going to look at his good finish. But he didn't finish without trouble. Now, David was judged by God. He was put in God's woodshed for his disobedience in the matter of Uriah the Hittite, for his unfaithfulness, for murdering the man. And he really had a life of difficulty. Remember, God promised him a couple of things. One, he promised him that the sword would not leave his house all the days of his life. And as he's looking down the very end of his life, David's a very old man, he comes up against another big problem, the rebellion of another one of his sons. It wasn't bad enough that he had the embarrassment of Amnon. It wasn't bad enough that he had the extensive rebellion of Absalom. But he's also going to face now the rebellion of Absalom's brother, Absalom's younger brother, Adonijah. And we can read now as we cross over into the third book of the Kings, also known as First Kings, these are either known as the four books of the kings, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th kings, or they're known maybe more in the King James tradition as 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd kings. We might even say it's in a Protestant tradition where they're known as the four books of kings, but the 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd kings. Well, we'll just stick ourselves in the Protestant tradition and call this the first book of the kings, although it's also called the third book of the kings. And we read this, David was old, King David, he's called King David. Now King David was old and stricken in years, and they covered him with clothes, but he got no heat. That's an interesting circumstance of life, where your circulatory system begins to break down. As you get old, all your systems break down. Your sight, your hearing, your circulation all manner of your systems, your flexibility is gone, your ability to sleep through the whole night is gone, your ability to disregard what otherwise would be reasonable fear, your ability to put aside reasonable fears is gone, and you begin to be a bit more fearful as you realize what can happen. All these things that are taught in the scriptures is what happens to us as we grow old. And David was old, stricken in years. One of the things is you get no heat, you get cold at night. Uh, you wonder why older folks dress a little warmer? Well, that's because they're cold more easily, especially at night. 
And it says they covered him with clothes, but he got no heat. I've noticed myself getting a little older that it's harder for me to stay warm in these bitter winters. And I understand we have one coming here. So, wherefore his servant said unto him, Let there be sought for my lord the king, a young virgin. Let her stand before the king, let her cherish him, and let her lie in thy bosom, that my lord the king may get heat. So they have a more creative way of uh, staying warm than a hot water bottle. Hot water bottle, after all, gets cold at night, but a young woman doesn't. So they decide to give David a young woman. This shows you that he's a king, that they go out and they find a young woman just to keep him warm at night. That shows you truly treat it like a king. Now, they sought for a fair damsel. See, they're not just going to get the hottest in body temperature, but they're going to get an attractive young woman. They sought for a fair damsel throughout all the coasts of Israel and found Abishag, a Shunammite, and brought her to the king. Now, there's a lot we could say about the Shunammite. There is a Shunammite uh, spoken of in the Song of Solomon. Abishag here is a virgin. She remains a virgin. It says the damsel was very fair, cherished the king, and ministered to him, but the king knew her not. Now, that doesn't mean he never acquainted himself with her. It means that King David did not have sexual relations with her. Now, this may seem strange to us. It certainly seems strange to me. This is not a practice that's uh, acceptable to us. But try to understand that there's nothing wrong with this in the context of the life of David. In fact, this is a wife of David in the sense that she's reserved for him. Now, it's not a wife of David in the fact that he doesn't know her. He knows her not. And it's not your wife if you know her not. That's something that we need to talk to people about. That needs to be a companion teaching to abstinence and the fact that abstinence in the context of marriage is not a right thing. But here David is practicing abstinence, if you want to call it that. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself. And remember, I spent a little time here about Abishag, the Shunammite, because it's going to arise in the life of Solomon when we see another rebellion go on. So that's why I spent a little extra time on it, not because it's not important. So now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, and he's the second son of Haggith, the first son of Haggith is Absalom, exalted himself, saying, I'll be king, and he prepared him chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. So where did he get that idea? Well, here he is. He's just junior Absalom. He's just another Absalom all the way down to the 50 guys that run before him. Might be the same 50 guys, you know. Maybe these 50 guys are just looking for the opportunity to do this job. 50 guys dress up in suits, and you know what they do, right? As they run before his chariot, his car, he's got a hot car. He's got horsemen around it. He's got 50 men that run in front of him, tell people, get out of the way. Here comes Adonijah, and they turn to Adonijah, and they go, you the best, you the toughest, you the man. And his father had had not displeased him at all at any time, saying, Why hast thou done so? And he was a goodly man, and his mother bare him after Absalom. Now, here it says that David never said anything uh, that he was displeased with Adonijah. There's two things here. One, we can make a big deal of if we want, but it doesn't say so in the Scripture, and that is that David let this kid run wild. Well, maybe he did. Maybe he didn't pay, give him enough attention. It wouldn't be unlike David not to do that. It wouldn't be like any father to ignore one of his sons. 
and give him improper attention. And then it would also be logical to find out that the kid grows up and is a bum like this uh, Adonijah is. But the scripture doesn't say that. That's not what it means here when it says his father displeased him not at any time. It means that David did not correct him in this manner of having these 50 guys run in front of him and his determination to be the king, his really illegal and improper ambition. So we'll come back to that and see what David does about this when he finds out and how he finds out. But before we do that, why don't you listen to this message? Okay, so now we go and we see that David's got another problem on his hands, and the problem is that Adonijah has an ambition that is not sanctified by David or God. And uh, he uh, goes about a conspiracy. Not only does he say he'll be king and get this going, not only is he doing it, by the way, without his father's knowledge, but he confers with Joab, and here we're going to see the final failure of Joab. Here we're going to see a guy who does not finish well. We're going to find a guy whose sin finally does find him out, Joab, the son of Zechariah. And with Abiathar, the priest, and they followed Adonijah and helped him. And so here we see some fellows that had some commendable things about their life, but they didn't follow that example that the apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, right, not Saul of Kish, but uh, they didn't follow the advice that Saul of Tarsus has given to us, which is forget the things that are behind and reach forward to the things that are ahead and press toward the mark of the calling on high, not an earthly calling, but a calling on high of God in Christ Jesus. And so here these guys are going to lose that which they have already attained. They are going to lose any credit they have because the number one rewardable aspect of character that God has is loyalty to himself. And finally, Joab becomes disloyal. He had been disobedient. He had been willful. He had been a snake. But now he's entered into complete disloyalty. In fact, he becomes a traitor. Joab now, along with Abiathar the priest, follow Adonijah and help him. Well, of course, the writing's on the wall to Joab. He's already murdered the nephew of David. When he murdered Amasa, David came in to his united kingdom, and he, he replaced Joab with Amasa, who was his nephew. And uh, here Joab has, uh, he's got this problem of killing the relatives of the king. He killed Abner, the son of Ner, who Ner was the brother of Kish. So he killed Abner, Saul's uncle. And now he's killed also Amasa, David's nephew. And uh, now he further goes into conspiracy with Abiathar, the priest, with Absalom. It says, but Zadok the priest, now we're in verse 8 of 1 Kings, Zadok the priest, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and Nathan the prophet, and Shimei and Reh, and the mighty men which belonged to David were not with Adonijah. So Adonijah got Joab, but he didn't get the mighty men. And Adonijah slew sheep and oxen and fat cattle by the stone of Zoheleth, which is by Enrogel, and called his brethren, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. But Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah, and the mighty men, and Solomon his brother, he did not call. Wherefore Nathan spoke unto Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Hast thou not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, does reign? And David our Lord knows it not. So here Nathan goes to Bathsheba, 
also known as Bashua, and he tells her, he says, did you know that your son Solomon, to whom the kingdom is promised, has got a rival here, Adonijah, Haggith's son, and you remember Absalom, son of Haggith, he's reigning, he's he's claiming himself to be king, and he's got all of his uh, brothers, all the family of David around him in the midst of declaring it that, and pretty soon this is going to sway these people of Israel, who, by the way, are completely faithless as to who they follow, we've seen that. Verse 12 of 1 Kings 1 says, Now therefore come, let I pray thee, Nathan to Bathsheba, give thee counsel that thou mayest save thine own life and the life of thy son Solomon. Of course, that's what's going to happen. She's going to be killed, and so is Solomon going to be killed, as he's the man on the out. Go and get thee unto King David, and say unto him, Did not thou, my lord, O king, swear to thine handmaid, saying, Assuredly, Solomon thy son shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne? Why then does Adonijah reign? Behold, while thou yet talkest there with the king, I will come in after thee and confirm thy words. And so this happens. David's real old. He's with Abishag. Bathsheba comes in, and uh, David says, What do you want? And she says to him, My lord, you told me, Assuredly, Solomon thy son shall reign after you. And behold, Adonijah reigns. And now, my lord the king, you don't even know it. And he has slain oxen and fat cattle and sheep in abundance, has called all the sons of the king, and Abiathar the priest, and Joab the captain of the host. But Solomon thy servant has he not called. And thou, my lord, O king, the eyes of all Israel are upon thee, that thou shouldest tell them who will sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise it will come to pass, when my lord the king shall sleep with his fathers, that my son Solomon will be counted, and I will be counted offenders. And lo, while she yet talked with the king, Nathan the prophet came in, and they told the king, saying, Behold, Nathan the prophet. And when he was come in before the king, he bowed himself before the king and his face to the ground. Now you remember Nathan the prophet. He's the fellow, not only that is perhaps the most courageous fellow in the Bible, who stood up to David and told him, Thou art the man. But he's also the Nathan after whom David named his son following Solomon from Bathsheba. David so loved this man, Nathan, who corrected him. And that shows you something about David. David loved the man that corrected him. That's why he's a man after God's own heart. He loved him enough to name his son Nathan. Well, Nathan said, My lord, O king, have you said, Adonijah shall reign after me, and he'll sit on my throne? For he has gone down this day, has slain oxen and fat cattle and sheep in abundance, has called all the king's son, the captain of the host, and Abiathar the priest. Behold, they eat and drink before him, and say, God save King Adonijah. So he's got another rebellion on his hands. Here's David, an old man, having a hard enough time sleeping, and he's got another rebellion on his hands. Well, David now calls Bathsheba in, back in, and he tells her, As the Lord livest, thou hast redeemed my soul out of all distress, even as I swore to thee by the Lord, God of Israel, saying, Assuredly, Solomon thy son shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne in my stead, I will certainly do that this day. And Bathsheba bowed her face to the earth, did reverence to the king, and said, Let my lord King David live forever. Well, David will live forever, but not in the body of this death. He will rise again, and that's how he'll live forever. And King David said, Call me Zadok the priest, and Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. Now Zadok is the faithful 
young priest. He's going to replace Abiathar with him. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, is a faithful military man. He'll replace Joab, at least for the purpose of this of this instance, and Nathan the prophet, and he's going to assemble his own court. And the children of Israel are going to have their eyes on David. The king said, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and called Solomon my son to ride upon mine own mule, and bring him down to Gihon, and let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him their king over Israel, and blow you the trumpet, and say, God save King Solomon. So they do that, and they follow the instructions of David. And um, word comes now to the co-conspirators that this happened. And um, here it tells us this is what happens. It says that uh, the king's servants uh, came to bless our Lord King David, saying, God, make the name of Solomon better than thy name, and make his throne greater than thy throne. And the king bowed himself upon the bed, and also thus said the king, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which has given one to sit on my throne this day, mine eyes even seeing it. Verse 49 of First Kings 1, All the guests that were with Adonijah became afraid, and rose up, and every man went his own way. Now they're on the run. And Adonijah feared because of Solomon, and arose, and went, and caught on hold on the horns of the altar. You may not understand that, but he ran to the altar and he grabbed the horns. This now is a refuge. This is how the city of refuge worked. You run to the altar, grab the horns of the altar, and now your case can be heard. It gives you temporary suspension of capital punishment. He does this. He grabs the horns of the altar, and it was told Solomon, saying, Behold, Adonijah feareth King Solomon, for lo, he has caught hold on the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me today he'll not slay his servant with the sword. And Solomon said, If he shows himself a worthy man, there shall not a hair of him fall to the earth, but if wickedness will be found in him, he'll die. So King Solomon sent, brought him down from the altar, and he came and bowed himself to King Solomon, and Solomon said, Go to your house. Now that's not the end of Adonijah, but he's spared at that time. So now, God puts down the the rebellion of Adonijah against the house of David. The house of David, even though Adonijah part of the house of David, God had determined that the seed royal would go through Solomon. And when Solomon's line ends, by the way, sometime downstream in history, then it will go through the house of Nathan. And um, when we come to Luke, the first chapter we'll see that the royal line to our Lord Jesus Christ came through David. It came legally through Solomon, but it came lineally, genetically, we'll say, through Nathan. So now David has made Solomon king in his place. That doesn't mean that David's not the king. David is the king and Solomon is the king. David is the king he, is, he would be called, if the Gentiles were naming these fellas, they would call Solomon the king, and they would call David the great king. This is an important thing for you to understand, that a man can be king while there's another king if he's so named by his father. Primogenitor has the son in the place of the father, and it makes no distinction except for that the father is greater than the son. 
So when you read about Xerxes and Artaxerxes, you have the king, you have the great king. And uh, when you study the scriptures, you'll find that there can be more than one king at the same time in a kingdom. Well, more of that some other time, just a, just a point of some interest. Now David gives Solomon some charges, and we find the mind of David giving charges to Solomon, giving his concluding judgments to Solomon, some things that he probably never let these people know, especially concerning Joab. And uh, here's what he says. He charged Solomon, saying, and, you know, here as he's charging Solomon, I think you know, our uh, older men need to charge younger men. We need to, we need to give some charges. I, I know when I, when I see a young man get married, if he asks me to solemnize his uh, ceremony, I'll charge him a little bit. I'll give him a, I'll give him a couple of instructions. I'll challenge him. And so here, here David charges Solomon, his son, and I think you need to challenge your sons to be better men than you. Now, the Bible says, raise a child up in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. When you raise a child, you're painfully familiar all the time with your own failure. That's the thing you see. You see your own sins replicated in your own sons. Raise a child up in the way that he should go means to raise the child up in the way you should have gone. Not the way you did go, the way you should have gone. So every father qualified to raise a son. Because every father, whether he went well or went poorly, knows the way he should have gone. And that's what that means. So here he's charging him now. He says, I'm going the way of all the earth. First Kings 2, 2. Be thou strong, therefore, show thyself a man. Now here's something else we don't do anymore. I don't know if it started in the 90s. Is that when men first became sensitive female types? I don't know. We slide to that. We need to stimulate one another to provoke to love and good deeds. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. He says, be strong, therefore, show persuaded. This is why young men love their coaches, because they challenge them, at least they used to, to be men. Keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies, as is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest, whithersoever thou turnest thyself. They say, well, David's a fine one to talk. Isn't he a murderer? He's raising his son up in the way that he should go, the way that David should have gone. That the Lord may continue his word to which he spake concerning me. If thy children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. That was the Lord's promise to David that he would continue David's rule forever. He would not lack a man to sit on the throne of Israel. And so maybe maybe today you're of the nation of Israel, you're listening to me, maybe you're Jew today, and I'm going to ask you this. Where is the man that's supposed to sit on the throne of David? Where is the man out of the house of David? I can tell you where he is. He's at the right hand of God. He rose again from the dead. He has all the right pedigree. He fulfilled all of the prophecies of the 22nd Psalm, among other things. And uh, there doesn't lack a man to sit on the throne of Israel, though it may seem to you, because that man is at the right hand of God, and he's coming again. Moreover, thou knowest also what Joab the son of Zeruiah did to me. Now here David's giving instruction to Solomon about Joab. 
He says, here's what Joab, the son of Zeruiah, did to me, and what he did to the two captains of the host of Israel, unto Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle, and Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he slew, Jether being the husband, a name of the husband of Abigail, David's sister, and shed the blood of war and peace. Now that's David's judgment was that that he had made peace with Amasa, though he had gone with his cousin in the rebellion, though Amasa went with his cousin Absalom in the rebellion, David had made peace, and Joab slew him and shed the blood of war and peace and put the blood of war upon his girdle that was about his loins and in his shoes that were on his feet. David also had made peace with with Abner the son of Ner, and in both cases Joab used the cloak of war to murder men when they were at peace. Do therefore according to thy wisdom, and do not let his white hair or his hoar head go down to the grave in peace. He said, whatever it is with you, don't let Joab die a natural death. But show kindness unto Barzillai the Gileadite, and let let them be of those that eat at thy table, for so they came to me when I fled because of Absalom thy brother. And of course, that's his half-brother. And behold, thou hast with thee Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite of Baharim, which cursed me with a grievous curse in the day that I went to Mahanaim. But he came down to me at Jordan, and I swear by the Lord, saying, I'll not put you to death with the sword. Now here, uh, Shimei, who was a powerful man in Gera, within Benjamin, he did not go for the rebellion of Adonijah. Nevertheless, uh, David remembered the cursing that he put upon him, and he had promised Shimei that he wouldn't put him to death with the sword. But he tells Solomon, Now therefore don't hold him guiltless, for you're a wise man, and you know what you ought to do unto him. But his whorehead bring thou down to the grave with blood. He says, You, you see, this man needs to be executed. So David slept with his fathers when buried in the city of David. The days that David reigned over Israel were 40 years, seven in Hebron, 33 years he reigned in Jerusalem, 40 years over the tribe of Judah, 33 years over all the rest of the tribes. Then sat Solomon upon the throne of his father David, and his kingdom was established greatly. And so now we have a major transition in the nation of Israel as Solomon comes in to the height of the glory of Israel and one hopes, as you read the the great uh, drama of the Scripture, that uh, they'll find a way to be faithful, but they won't, they don't, because there's a one greater than Solomon that needs to come. And we'll come back with that after this brief message. So we have Solomon on the throne, and that's a major development. The wars of David, the rebellions against David, they seem to be gone. They are gone, in fact, against David. But the rebellion against Solomon is not over. You remember he let Adonijah live. But the rebellion of Adonijah has two phases. Phase one, which we'll call the mercy phase, and phase two, which we can call the judgment phase. It tells us that Solomon sits on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was established. And in 1 Kings chapter 2, we see the, immediately the threat to Solomon's reign. Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. And 
she said, Come you peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. He said, Moreover, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And she said, Say on. So here he's negotiating now with Bathsheba. And, of course, he's coming to Bathsheba instead of to Solomon because it's easier for him to deceive Bathsheba. And I'm always careful when men go to women instead of men. I'm always careful about that. I'm always suspicious of that. There are guys that know how to work women that can never get by on men. And the Scripture teaches us that women are weaker vessels, not worse vessels, weaker vessels. They're more easily deceived. Adam was not deceived, but but Eve being deceived was entirely deceived, was in the transgression. And this fella, Adonijah, clever enough guy to put 50 guys that run in front of him, tell him what a great guy he is, also smooth enough with the ladies, here now going to Solomon's mother, which is his stepmother, might say. And he says, I need a favor. And she said, and he says to her, Thou knowest that the kingdom was mine, that all Israel set their faces on me, that I should reign. Howbeit the kingdom is turned about, it has become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. Nice little religious statement. And now I ask one petition, deny me not. And she said unto him, Say on. And he said, Speak, I pray thee, unto Solomon the king, for he will not say no to you, that he give me Abishag the Shunammite to wife. Now, here it seems innocent enough. Here's Abishag. David is gone. Abishag still a virgin. God like Abishag the Shunammite to wife. And Bathsheba said, Well, I will speak for thee unto the king. Bathsheba therefore went unto King Solomon to speak unto him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed himself unto her and sat down on his throne and caused a seat to be set for the king's mother. That's his own mother. And she sat on his right hand. Then she said, I desire one small petition of thee. I pray thee, say me not nay. And the king said unto her, Ask on, my mother, for I won't say no to you. And she said, Let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah, thy brother to wife. Now, here, this is a major request. This is uh, not a proper thing for Bathsheba to be doing. She ought to be more weary than, wary than this. It is not appropriate for a woman to ask for the hand of another woman to Solomon here. King Solomon answered and said unto his mother, And why dost thou ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Why not ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my elder brother, even for him, and for Abiathar the priest, and for Joab the son of Zeruiah? Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, God, do so more, do so to me, and more also, if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. Now, you may wonder, why is he so upset? He's so upset because he already is younger than Adonijah. Adonijah, therefore, stands in line by primogenitor ahead of him, except for the word of David. And he has Joab, Adonijah had Joab on his side, senior man to any other military commander. He has Abiathar on his side, senior man to any other priest. Solomon says to his wife, can't you see through this, or to his mother, can't you see through this conspiracy? Why not just ask me for the kingdom? I told Adonijah, behave yourself, and you'll be okay, but if you don't, you won't. He said, this is against his own life. 
And now, therefore, as the Lord liveth, he says, which has established me and set me on the throne of my of David my father, and who has made me a house, as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death this day. And King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and he fell upon him that he died. Now, of course, this fell upon him means that he went and executed him. Somehow, however, I picture Benaiah to be some huge guy, you know, like tackle for the pro football team, and he just smashes these guys. But no, that's not what it is. But it is a funny saying. He fell upon him, and he died, like smothered, like squished him to death. And Abiathar the priest said to and I don't know why I think Benaiah is this huge guy, but somehow I think he's a huge guy. And unto Abiathar the priest, said the king, you get to Anathoth under thine own fields. You're worthy of death, but I'm not going to put you to death because you bore the ark of the Lord God before David my father and because you have been afflicted and all wherein my father was afflicted. Because you remember now, Abiathar followed David in the time of his rejection. So Solomon thrust out Abiathar from being priest unto the Lord that he might fulfill the word of the Lord which he spoke concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. And you remember Eli? Remember he fell over dead uh, when his sons were also killed? And Abiathar uh, is of the house of Eli, and therefore God's word that there would be no none of his house in the priesthood, Abiathar now is the fulfillment of that. He's the terminal generation, and he's the man out. Then tidings came to Joab. Of course, here it comes now. The, the, this is the final guy of the conspiracy. For Joab had turned after Adonijah, though he turned not after Absalom, and Joab fled into the tabernacle of the Lord and called hold of the horns of the altar. There he is, waiting for his trial. And it was told King Solomon that Joab was fled into the tabernacle of the Lord and by the altar. Then Solomon sent Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go, fall upon him. So here now Joab is going to be executed, and at least he's going to be executed properly. He's not going to die the way that he murdered others. He's going to be executed properly in that he's going to be he's going to know what's going on. He's not going to be deceived. And Benaiah came to the tabernacle of the Lord and said to him, Thus says the king, Come forth. And he said, Nay, I'll die right here. And Benaiah brought the king word again, saying, Joab said this. He said, I'm not coming. I don't want to be executed. I'll just die right where I am. And the king said unto him, Do as he has said, and fall upon him, and bury him, that thou mayest takest away the innocent blood which Joab shed for me and from the house of my father. So Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, went up and fell upon Joab and slew him, and he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. And the king put Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, in his place, in Joab's place, over the host, leader of the commander-in-chief of the military, and Zadok the priest, and the king put in the place of Abiathar. And so there you see uh, almost all the judgment that David gave to be done, except we have this matter of Shimei. And the king sent and called for Shimei and said unto him, Build you a house in Jerusalem and dwell there, and don't go forth thence anywhere. So here he's get Shimei, he's a powerful man of Benjamin, he says, "You you get into you put your house in Jerusalem. Now there's a there's a way that a Benjamite can put a house in Jerusalem without leaving his tribal boundary. Remember that Benjamin and Judah split Jerusalem. 
but he's right next to the land of Judah. He's right where the king can watch him and where he can't work up any conspiracies. He says, you build a house in Jerusalem, and you stay there. And it shall be in the day that thou goest out and passes over the brook Kidron. And that's the boundary. If you ever pass over the boundary, you ever come into Judah, then you'll know for certain that you will surely die, and thy blood shall be on thine own head. Shimei said to the king, the saying's good, as you say, that's what I'll do. And Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days, but it came to pass after three years that two of his servants ran away unto Achish, son of Mekah, king of Gath. And they told Shimei, saying, Behold, thy servants be in Gath. And Shimei arose, saddled his ass, went to Gath to Achish to seek his servants, and brought them back. And it was told Solomon that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath, was come again. And the king sent, called for Shimei, and said, I told you not to do that, and what do you suppose? He says to Shimei, Thou knowest all the wickedness which thine heart is privy to, that thou didst to David my father, therefore the Lord shall return wickedness, thy wickedness upon thine own head, and King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be blessed before the Lord forever. So what do you think he does? The king commands Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, which went out, and... He fell upon him, and he died. And that now executes all the judgments that David gave for Solomon to do. And Solomon is established, well-established. One would say, one would hope permanently, but not on the throne of his father David. And then David, uh, then Solomon has the Lord appear to him, and the Lord asks him, what would you like me to do for you? And Solomon makes that great request, and he requests for wisdom, and that was such a prudent thing. He didn't ask for money or women. He asked for wisdom, and God gives all wisdom. Any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all abundantly and upbraids not. And Solomon became the wisest man, but despite his wisdom, we're going to see his foolishness. That can wait another day. We'll talk about that tomorrow. In the meantime, let me leave you with this wonderful hymn. 